1: Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Welcome to another episode of the no ceilings podcast. I'm Tyler Metcalf riding solo this week, uh, until later in the show where, uh, I have James Edwards, the third from the athletic coming on to help me break down the sorry Thompson. Uh, but as many of you may have seen, uh, on Twitter, uh, our, our, my host our good friend, Tyler Rooker just had a baby girl, uh, last week. So he is on dad duty right now, taking some well-deserved time off, spending it with the family. Everyone is happy, healthy doing great uh so you know he just needs some rest and to to go be a dad so we're giving him at least this week off he might be back next week if he's you know getting the itch to get back into it um but some much deserved time off for rucker so today uh it's just gonna be me uh those of you hanging out uh watching live on youtube feel free to drop questions and i'll try to get to them at the end assuming we'll have time but today we're i'm gonna kind of just focus on the idea of battling um, production mainly with older prospects versus potential with one and done prospects and this idea that we always get so excited and enticed about what could be and you know that that illusion of the ideal you know characteristics and outcome that we build up for prospects especially those that we have an affinity for and how that can really skew our judgment a lot of the time and It's tough. It's tough. I'm guilty of it. Everyone who does any sort of evaluation is guilty of it, but it's something that we kind of have to constantly combat. And, you know, this was the focus of my piece that I wrote today over at nocealingsonba.com. First plug in at two minute mark. Oh my goodness, I'm killing it on my own. (laughs) Who needs Rucker? So go check that out if you haven't, 100% free. But in recent years we've seen this um we've seen older prospects come in and make an immediate impact to the point where it's like we're doing you know some people are doing redrafts and they're taking them top five already and it's been 30 games of their career so you know we're seeing guys like jaime Hawkes, christian brown uh jalen brunson come in and be ready made and they end up falling later in the draft because they're older and just because they're 22, 23 years old, they're viewed as reaching their potential and reaching their ceiling as a player already. In some cases, that's really true. Uh, But in others, when guys are producing at a really high level at big-time programs and contributing to winning year over year over year, it's something that can't be ignored just because the shiny new thing could potentially maybe grow into a Jaime Hawkeyes. Well, why bother trying to nurture and develop a player to become Jaime Hock, when you can just take him in the first round or the lottery or the top 10 already. And in this year's draft, there are so many question marks and red flags and concerns with a lot of these freshmen. I think we're going to be really surprised when some of these upperclassmen go top 20, top 15, top 10, um, top five might be a little rich right now, but I think some of these guys are going to go a lot earlier than people expect and that's because they're that's because recent drafts have shown us that these guys are talented they're mature they've grown up in the system where basketball is their life and they're ready to make an impact right away and just because they're a little older just because they're a little closer to their ceiling doesn't mean they've peaked already there's plenty of room to grow there's plenty of experience of these guys making an impact as bit role players, um, you know, when they were underclassmen and growing into surefire big time leaders and the guy on a team. So, uh, just starting off with the kind of production bucket of this and some of the upperclassmen, um, who I really think are going to shock a lot of people where they go and have a really good opportunity of being some of those rare day one producers in the NBA. Um, During this, I'm going to try and incorporate some film breakdown as well, Uh, so keep an eye out for that or head over to the YouTube page at No Ceilings NBA if you want to check that out as well. But I will promise to uh, do my best to describe what is going on in these clips as well. Um, When we talk about production, the first one I got to talk about. Guy I've been trying to get to go pro for a couple years now. He's been one of the very best defenders in college basketball for the last handful of years, um, pretty much since he was a freshman or sophomore at Texas Tech, Kevin McCuller. Uh, The big question with McCuller, his entire career has been the outside jumper. Uh, He's been a good passer. He's been a good rebounder. He's been a good cutter. He's been an awesome defender, especially a team defender with how quick his hands are um, and his ability to make rotations and time those to perfection. But he's never been able to shoot. And it's not just that he's been a mediocre shooter, it's been a bad shooter. That's until this year. And up until this point, um, or so far this year, McCullough shooting 40.8% from three on 4.1 attempts per game. That's solid, solid numbers. That's solid volume, really good results. Uh, coming into this year, if you would have told me he would have been around the 35 to 38 mark, I would have been really excited about that. That would have shown me, okay, maybe this is the year where he finally sneaks into the back end of the first round. Now he's doing that. Now he's, you know, 40 plus on solid volume as one of the only kind of floor spacers on that Kansas team. He might go top 20. He might sneak into the lottery. If he, maintains this for the rest of the year uh additionally he ranks in the 96th percentile in spot up scoring with 1.4 points per possession 73rd percentile on all jumpers with 1.07 points per possession 87th percentile uh shooting off the catch uh with 1.33 points per possession and he's shooting 44.2 percent from three off the catch additionally 84th percentile on cuts and he has an assist rate of 24 percent These are all really good indicators of him being a high-level connective wing at the next level. He's doing it now. Um, He's done it his entire career. Now you just kind of plug and play him as the seventh man in a rotation on a playoff team or a middling team with playoff aspirations. He's a guy who can be an outlet as a catch-and-shoot guy. He can pick up the primary defender. He can be a reliable off ball defender, and he can be that connective passer who keeps the ball moving, swings it from one guy to the next, and keeps the offense flowing. Kevin McCullough has been awesome this year. He was really good last year. He was really good the year before that. But this year he has been the driving force behind that Kansas team. And he has been absolutely incredible. Don't be surprised when you start seeing him thrown in the top 20. Um, and don't be surprised on draft night if he goes in top 20. So um w- when we talk about the the shooting improvements. Um, you know, here, he wasn't doing this stuff last year. So as he kind of relocates, goes down to the block, he's just going to run, run off this pin down from Hunter Dickinson. And as he runs off that screen, he sees that his defenders going over the top of it. So instead of bolting back out to the wing, he sinks back into the corner to give himself that extra space and that extra time while his defender chases back over. By doing that, he kind of minimizes the movement in which he's shooting. He's able to control his momentum a little more. He's obviously able to create a bigger gap between him and the defender. And his mechanics are still a little funky. They're a little slow. They're not the prettiest thing in the world, but they're consistent and they're effective. And what he just did there on that screen, uh or running off that screen was a it, it was or he he kind of morphed uh an off um an off-screen catch-and-shoot three into more of a spot-up look where he's able to control his momentum, get his feet under him, get set, and really keep his mechanics consistent. Um, But when I talk about him being one of the best defenders that we've seen, it's mostly the weak side stuff and his ability to rotate um, and be that kind of low man, uh, either defensive playmaker, jumping passing lanes, protecting the rim. Here, uh, we're going to see him in the low corner And he just reads that pass to perfection. He leaves his man. Um, As Indiana kind of runs this pick and roll, they deny the screen. Hunter Dickinson is now forced to slide over to protect the rim to you know, take away a layup, and McCullers left as the lone weak side defender over there in the left corner with two guys, and he knows that that pocket pass is immediately coming because he's already in the passing lane, Um, and he's kind of sneaking behind the post player here, so he's just able to time this to perfection, use his quick hands, and poke the ball away and spark transition going the opposite direction. This time. We see him kind of protecting the rim. This is really impressive rotation. Again, Hunter Dickinson is forced to kind of step up, at defending the pick and roll. Um, and McCuller has to rotate, or DHO, excuse me, but Dickinson is playing at the level and is giving up a role here. KJ Adams tries to sink down, but Khalil Ware is a shooting threat, so he has to step back up. That leads McCuller ha- to having to rotate and blocks the power forward at the rim. It's a really impressive use of his hands, uh, rotation, timing, awareness, all of it. And then finally, the the, at, the on-ball defensive stuff with him is, I think, a little worse. I don't think he quite has the foot speed, but he's able to really use his IQ and his length and his hands to perfection. Here we see he gives up the baseline drive um, to a really crafty scorer here. but he stays attached. He doesn't panic. He stays involved in the play and gets the ball handler to a spot where he can still contain him and really affect the shot. As the layup goes up, he swats it away. It's really, really impressive stuff that he's been doing for years now. Um, Another guy that I wrote about in, in the piece that I think deserves a lot of praise and a lot of attention, Tristan De Silva. He hasn't necessarily been my cup of tea, um, but some people have been very high on him for a long time, for a handful of years now, and I'm starting to get it. I'm late to the party. I admit it. I'm late to the party, but the power forward from Colorado has just consistently produced at an extraordinarily efficient level. Um, Some of the stuff that he's doing and the consistency in which he's doing it over the past three years, it's, it's rare. And the fact that he's doing it at his size um, and it's not stuff that's going to be all star kind of stuff, but it's stuff where it's like, oh, you're we can throw you in basically any rotation um, that we can think of and you're going to elevate it. You're going to be able to hold your own defensively, both on and off ball. You can be that outlet um, for kickouts and shooting off the catch. Uh, You can, you know, abuse mismatches in the post. I think Tristan Da Silva is a guy that a lot of people really need to start considering as a first rounder. And a lot of people at no ceilings will disagree with me on that. But the more I watch, the more numbers I look at, the more trends that I see uh, going back, you know, just looking at Bartorovic's uh, database, he fits the mold of a guy that's going to be in the NBA for quite some time. So just looking at De Silva, I go into a little more detail with all his current numbers and whatnot in the piece. Um, but Since 2008, uh, Da Silva would be one of 27 players from a true high major conference to have an effective field goal rate over 60, a block rate over two, a steal rate over two, a three-point percentage over 35, and a box plus minus over seven. The reasons that I chose those figures to first initially look at um, are because they, you know, first the block and steal, you're those tra- tend to translate pretty consistently to the NBA. They show his defensive capabilities, versatility, uh, the effective field goal. Okay. Yeah. You're, um, you're an efficient scorer. You're an efficient play finisher, three-point percentage, high three-point percentage plus a high effective field goal rate, really promising signs for, uh, scoring efficiency and versatility going forward. And then box plus minus, are you contributing to winning? Uh, so, of those 27 players, I'm just going to read through a handful of names here. So we have Keegan Murray, Mikhail Bridges, Tyrese Halliburton, PJ Hall from this year. Another guy who should have made this list, um, but has some very big fans at no ceilings. Lonzo Ball, Chris Duarte, Dean Wade, Victor Oladipo, Mario Chalmers, Reed Shepard from this year. We'll get to him in a minute. Uh, Jake Laravia, Demory Hodge, Tyrese Halliburton again. Turns out he's kind of good. Uh, Killian Tilly, Tristan Da Silva from this year. Mikhail Bridges again. Uh... Mo Wagner, Montress Harrell, Jackson Robinson from BYU this year, Keisha Johnson from Arizona this year, Caden Shredrick from Texas this year. There are a lot of players on that list who, you know, varying star or levels of stardom and ability and contract and role and everything in the NBA. But those are all guys who made the NBA. Those are guys who are in a rotation. Those are guys who are contributing to winning in some form or fashion. So, does Tristan da Silva have the most explosive and electric and sexy game? Not necessarily, but does he do the little things that the stars don't necessarily want to do that? The stars don't consistently do that. The stars need their role players and their, uh, you know, coworkers to do to lead to winning. I think so. And I think he's a guy that needs a lot more credit going forward. Um, uh, another name, Zach Eady. Uh, not going to go into too much detail on him. Just any query you run on Bartorvik, he's probably going to pop up unless you include three point stuff. Um, but rebounding, shot blocking, scoring efficiency, free throw rate, uh, all of it—it's absolutely absurd. He's going to be a first rounder. Um, he may not be a starter. Some people think that he could kind of—he's verging on that. I think he's going to be a hell of a backup center for. A decade plus. I think he moves is about as well as you can expect from someone that's that size. I think his footwork and the drop coverage is really sound. Uh would like to see him pass a little more, but he's the end all be all of that Purdue team. So him not being a high-level playmaker, it makes sense because everything goes through him. Um, but they do have some shooters on there. So if he kind of boosted those assist numbers, I I wouldn't complain. Um, but he's gonna be a guy that goes in the first round. And you know, shout out Sam Fazzini. He tweeted out why is Donovan Klingin so much farther ahead than Zach Edie on boards? I'm not entirely sure. Um, I, I think it's a really smart question because there's starting to be some injury concerns with Klingin. there are starting to be some, you know, how effectively can, or how effective is he in major minutes? Um, can he play for extended minutes without fouling? The more I've seen of Klingin this year, the less I've liked. And the inverse has been true with Edie. So Klingon's a sexy name because he's the younger prospect. He was new on the scene last year. His defensive numbers last year and this year were you know, absolutely incredible. Uh, I still think Klingon's going to be a really good player, so I please don't take that the wrong way. But Edie's not that far off. Edie should be closer in that conversation than he's currently getting credit for. Um, Maxwell Baumbach did an incredible write-up on Edie uh, the other day over at NoSealingsNBA.com. That piece is 100% free. Go check it out. Go read it. Maxwell did awesome work on it. Um, the final guy in the production, the upperclassman production bucket that I kind of want to cover that, again, I think is going to go a lot earlier than most people think. Um, someone I have in the top 20 right now, uh, point guard from Marquette, Tyler Kolek, uh, Corey Tulliba did a great write-up on him the other day. Also, go check that out, Uh, Sorry for all the plugs, but they're really good pieces. So go get smarter, go read about these guys. Uh Co- so Colec, uh you know, white point guard from Marquette. Not your typical top 20 pick, but this dude just knows how to play. The game is so easy for him. It's so slow. He's a solid defender. He gets to a spot wherever he wants. Um really good shooter, really good passer, really good at rim finisher. He's everything with him is below the rim. Uh but he is so efficient shooting at the rim. Um, so just running through some of his kind of percentile rankings currently. So he's in the 84th percentile overall in points per possession, 69th percentile in pick and roll scoring, 78th percentile in spotting up, uh, 88th percentile with with pick and roll including his passes, uh, 93rd percentile on all jumpers, 89th percentile shooting off the catch, 92nd percentile shooting off the dribble, and 79th percentile shooting at the rim. He's a purely below-the-rim finisher, and he ranks in the 79th percentile shooting at the rim, and he's shooting 66.7% at the rim, uh, despite not being an above-the-rim finisher. It's extraordinary touch, and I know what you're thinking. You're like, oh, it's probably low volume. You know, He's just had a cu- handful of shots there. Uh, 49.6% of his shots come at the rim. He gets to the rim whenever he wants. He's really good with angles, change of pace, really strong at fending off shot blockers, uh, really good with either hand. It's it's not a fluke that he's scoring and finishing in all three areas of the floor the way he is. Additionally, he's one of three players um, to have an effective field goal rate over 60%, so efficient score, assist rate over 35, um, steal rate over three, three-point percentage over 40, and three-point attempts per 100 possessions over six so efficient score all around efficient shooter on good volume uh defensive playmaker and really involved in the playmaking of the team and the overall offensive operation the other names on that were Tyrese Halliburton sophomore season and Paul Stoll from the 2008 UT Rio Grande Valley uh team never heard of him if you did uh you know shout out Paul Stoll um but that's just really impressive. That's a rare class. Incredible numbers that he's putting up. Uh, even when I lowered the assist rate, the my, my my first hesitation with that query was okay, that's a really high assist rate. 35%. Okay, that's a lot. I lowered it to 30, names didn't change. I lowered it to 25. There were a couple names from lower schools that popped up, but list didn't go over go over like five or six names. So I tried to manipulate it to include more people and I couldn't really, when I lowered the three point attempts to five didn't change. So Tyler Kolek really good. He's really good. Don't let the, I, you know, the, the visual of this kind of non-explosive six, three, six, four white point guard fool you. The kid can flat out play. Um, But let's kind of take a look at some of his, place here and and run through some of the film uh so we're gonna start off with the playmaking um just interior passing so just a little pick and roll here spins off it um i'm just gonna start that over so comes up runs a side pick and roll with oso uh kolek denies the screen spins drives baseline here does a great job of keeping his dribble alive and sees his teammate cutting from the weak side corner here that's a really tough pass to Thread the needle between two defenders, bounce pass against your momentum, set up your teammate perfectly for a layup. Really high level understanding of spacing, of angles, um, and how to set his teammate up where he needs to. Um, this time, just really high level driving kick. Not a lot of guys make that pass. Uh, it helps that Kolek, Kolek is a lefty. So, you know, he comes off the screen, gets wide open lane, uh, that really forces the aggressive rotation from the weak side. But as both all three defenders kind of converge on him, he, without hesitation, he makes that live dribble pass, um, through traffic to the opposite corner, right in the shooter, shooter's pocket. He doesn't have to change his base at all. He's able to just catch rise up wide open, doesn't hit it, but the whole process leading up to that, was absolutely perfect, and Cola couldn't have done much more there. Um, the playmaking with him is that kind of stuff. It's not overtly flashy, it's not shocking, it's just consistent. It's the right decision, it's really high level decision making. Um, but what really, really, really stands out, as I kind of mentioned before, is the at rim finishing stuff. Um, so, you know, he does just such a great job of absorbing contact a little shot fake gets dylan mitchell off his feet um dylan mitchell's a hell of a defender deserves a little more draft buzz than he's been getting but gets him off his feet and then as colic drives he has mitchell on his hip and to ensure that mitchell doesn't get back grimside and can't really affect the shot he does a great job of veering into his path and creating that contact and then finishing with the left-hand extension finish this is really high level craft that translates to the nba it's stuff that we see from jaylen brunson and podzemski where they really know how to manipulate their body how to leverage their strength how to get to their spots and finish with those extensions at the rim with soft touch to avoid getting blocked by more athletic rim protectors and defenders um let's see let's move on to the next one uh little more pick and roll creation from him here. So gets the handoff, reuses the screen, gets downhill, keeps the dribble alive, and finishes with the offhand. Again, not shocking. It's not stuff that is going to litter highlight tapes, but it's an understanding of where his defender's going and how to manipulate that momentum. He gets downhill, a little hesitation, gets the rim protector in the air. He keeps his dribble alive, sneaks over to the other side of the rim, finishes with his right hand, That's pro that that's a pro level move. Um, And then again, just kind of snakes through the lane out of the pick and roll slips it defender steps up. He adjusts finishes with the right hand. He's always calm. He's always composed really under control, rarely ever rushed. Um, But then it's not just the pick and roll stuff. It's the way that he moves, even when he doesn't have the ball. So here he just lifts out of the corner gets the pass, and he's going to just kind of drive baseline, make that skip pass. But I love how he just immediately relocates to that corner that his teammate vacates, and he could easily let this fly. Wide open corner three for a good shooter, ideal shot. Instead, pump fake, defender goes by. Now he has a free rim to drive to, gets an even easier shot. It's just it's impossible to rush him. It's impossible to kind of get him off platform um, and make him do stuff that he doesn't want to do because he's so composed. Um, I'm, I'm sorry for gushing so much over these guys, but yes, they're a little older. They're a little more, you know, they're, they're, we've seen them for years. They're a little closer to what they're gonna end up being than some of these freshmen who are new to us. And you know, just imagine if some of these guys could turn into Tyler kolak Oh my God, how exciting would that be? But why waste the opportunity of potentially getting that when you can just take Tyler kolak It's not that hard sometimes. um And I think a really important thing that we have to remember with a lot of these freshmen is, and these NBA teams is that the NBA teams don't go out of their way to invest a ton of resources and a ton of time into these guys if they're not showing that they can at least hold their own on the court in their first year or two nba teams are largely done with these guys uh they don't get the opportunities where you know in the evaluation process where we talk about oh well you know if you give him a couple years and you really put him in the right developmental system and you get him in the strength and conditioning and he learns how to play in the g league for a couple years and then by year four he can really really start coming into his own as a role player that never happens these nba teams are impatient jobs are on the line there's no room for error with these guys and if you're not showing that you can at least hold your own or that you're really making strides behind the scenes these NBA teams are going to move off of guys. So when we think of the idea and the, um, you know, what these guys could be, that's important. And it's a big part of draft evaluation because that's what the whole point of the draft is, is to not necessarily get a guy who's going to be an all-star on day one, but who you can build your franchise around. The problem is, is when we don't accept the new data that comes in, that we don't accept the new sample that comes in and we just keep pumping the idea of, and holding to these preconceived notions of, well, you know, coming into the season, he was a top high school recruit. And I really had, I thought he was going to be this guy. It's like, okay, well over the last 30 games at a really high level college program, he hasn't been that guy. And that's okay. That's okay. That what that tells us is that we have to abandon the idea of who we thought that guy was going to be coming into the season and reshape our expectations of him and who he could be. That doesn't mean that the, that he's a bum and that his basketball career is over. It just means that it might not be a this year guy. And we, the stigma around returning to school for another year, it's absurd. So many guys get better. We've seen it year over year, over year that returning to school and not rushing, jumping to the NBA when you're not ready, it pays dividends because some of these guys just get bad advice and they read rankings and they read evaluations that pump them up. And these evaluations only talk about their 99th percentile outcome of what these guys could be, but they always ignore the fifth percentile outcome and how big that gap is. And with so many of these freshmen this year, that gap is wider than it has ever been. Um, And to continuously, pump these guys up as you know potential lottery guys when they're just not right now is a disservice to them to their teams to their families and to our scouting credibility so here are a couple guys where i think we just kind of need to abandon the idea of what we hope they would be um this year and unfortunately i gotta start with justin edwards um this hurts as someone who had him as a as his number one Prospect coming into the year. I thought Justin Edwards was going to be awesome. I thought he was um he looked really impressive in Portland uh drink, but it just hasn't clicked with him this year at Kentucky. The shot isn't there, uh the scoring versatility isn't there, the overall involvement isn't there. He just isn't playing with the confidence that I saw from him in Portland drink and in high school. Um, he's a really talented kid, he's a really talented player, and I think he's going to get there one day, but I don't think it's, I don't think he's a one and done at this point. Um, so besides just looking at the tape and, you know, what he's done, um, you know, I, I wanted to kind of compare what his numbers are right now to where, where to what other drafts have happened or what has happened in other drafts. Um, so Justin Edwards currently has a usage rate under 20 an assist rate under eight uh, shooting less than 30% from three and has a free throw rate under 25. Zero freshmen have been drafted in the first round with those numbers. I don't think Justin Edwards is necessarily going to be the first one to do that. Uh, Not a single freshman with those numbers um, is it's glaring. Uh, But, you know, coming into the season, one of the, hopes with edwards and one of the kind of strengths that we considered in his game was the outside shot and i still think he's gonna be a good shooter in time but it's not there yet um with that said let's say edwards has an awesome close to the season second half of the season he heats up outside shot starts falling hopefully it will i really hope so um but if that three-point percentage gets over 30 Then that same list that we ran, Uh, so usage rate is still under 20, assist rate is still under 8, free throw rate is still under 25, but the three-point percentage gets to over 30%. Um, That list then includes the freshman years of Franz Wagner, Josh Primo, TJ Warren, Corey Kispert, AJ Griffin, Christian Brown, and Omari Spellman. Good list. Some really good players on there. Uh, The only issue is that AJ Griffin was the only one-and-done wing. Uh, Franz Wagner returned. TJ Warren returned. Corey Kispert was a multi-year guy. Christian Brown was a multi-year guy. So, even if Edwards's three-point percentage gets over that thirty percent hurdle, which you know hopefully it does, um, it's still not a guarantee that he's going out this year, or that he should go out this year, and that if he did does return for another year, um, and kind of builds on how he closes out the season, hopefully on a strong note there are some really promising signs of players who have had really good careers that he could kind of grow into. Um, But let's say the shooting doesn't improve and that he remains under that 30%, but um, you using that original query, but we just kind of remove the free throw rate. We get another list of 11 names of freshmen. Um, And when we exclude the guards and bigs, so usage rate under 20 assist rate under eight and less than 30% from three, the wings that are included in that list are Keegan Murray, Mikhail Bridges, Dylan Windler, and Kobe Brown. Four more guys who are multi-year guys. Um, going back to school isn't a bad thing. And unless Justin Edwards really starts to turn it around this year, I think things are trending more towards him coming back for a sophomore year. And that's fine. Abandoning the idea of these guys in year one is not giving up on them and giving up on their basketball career. It's just saying... You need to. You're you're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. There's stuff here that we can build on, and as these you know different lists show, there's a lot to build on. And when things start kind of clicking, and you improve your body, you get a little more confidence. The game slows down a little bit. You improve your footwork, your agility, your flexibility. You know all those little things that go into the end product. Coming back as a sophomore, tearing the roof off the building, and actually announcing yourself as a lottery guy is way more valuable then forcing yourself into an NBA draft when you're not ready and you go in the second round and the NBA just kind of moves off you real quick because they don't have a lot of time for second round picks who aren't ready. They're not going to invest their time and uh, resources into developing those guys. It sucks. It's just the reality of the business. Um, another guy who we unfortunately kind of have to abandon the idea of uh, right now is Garway Duall, And that hurts I love duals game, incredible defender, incredible playmaker. Love how shifty he is uh, with his on-ball creation. Um, he, just, he he can't score at all. There are zero scoring instincts. There are sco- zero scoring um, efficiencies right now. And it sucks because I, I think there's stuff with the shot that's workable. Um, I think there was stuff with his high school film around the rim that was really impressive and can translate in time. But again, he's just not ready. His defense is NBA ready. His playmaking is NBA ready. His on-ball creation is NBA ready. It's just the scoring. And the NBA continuously tells us what they value. And guards who flat out cannot score or shoot is not something they value right now. So for him to return for another year, I think would do absolute wonders uh, for not just his draft stock, but his overall effectiveness as a player. Um so I again going back to Bartorvik, um, what a sight. Uh only eleven players have been drafted in the first round after having an effective field goal percentage under 45. And only two of those have been one one and done. Marquis Teague and Zaire Williams. Dual may, maybe a team gets convinced by Dual's um defense and playmaking alone and he becomes the third one and done to kind of make that list. But there are the the percentages across the board from two point range to three point, they're all under 40. Um some of them are under 30 and it's just not ideal right now. So it sucks. But he just might not be a this year guy. And that's oh Okay. I'm sorry to keep, uh, going back and stressing the importance of returning is okay, but it is, I promise. Um, another guy who the, the last guy, um, I, I, I promise I'll, you know, stopping so negative here in a second. Uh, but the last guy who I think is unfortunately trending in this direction, um, I'm not ready to full on say that we need to abandon the idea of him yet. Um, But he's trending in that direction, unfortunately, is Stefan Castle. I, you know, he's been shockingly polarizing this year, where some people have just been horribly offended that we had him as an early pick in our uh, last mock draft, while others have been horribly offended that he wasn't higher. You people need to make up your mind. Um, I like Castle. He's intriguing. And the reason I'm willing to give him a little longer leash and a little bit more time on this is because... First off, he had that injury uh, that he was kind of slow to come back from and deal with at the beginning of the season. And now Donovan Klingon is out again. So I kind of want to see if he really steps up and takes on a bigger role for this team uh, because he's been kind of in the shadows and behind the scenes for a lot of it, uh, you know, or at least while Klingon was hurt. So I want to give him a couple of weeks, see how he adjusts to that. If he really steps up, takes on a bigger role, he's insanely talented, um, but This dude is terrified of scoring. Um, He just refuses to take outside shots. He's one of eight from three this year. Uh, I would like to see, you know, him let it fly a little more. So, you know, I'm just going to pull up a little clip here, but this is brutal process here. So, you know, UConn gets the ball in the paint. Cam Spencer makes a really good pass out to Castle. This should be an open three. You gotta let that fly. Um, especially with uh Ryan Nemhard closing out on you. He's small. He's not really gonna affect uh, I think Castle listed as six 6'6. He shouldn't really affect your jumper uh when he's this far away. Instead, a little shot fake drives into traffic, gets hung up by Nemhard, and weeks gives the weak side uh defender enough time to rotate over, use his athleticism, and block a really heavily contested layup. You gotta shoot that. And if you're going to be a top five guy in a draft, you have to at least shoot it. I don't care. I honestly don't care if it didn't go in. Um, But just having that willingness to let it fly and to shoot it and to force the defense to respect you from out there is absolutely crucial. So, you know, in in theme with tonight, let's, uh, let's go back to Bart and look at some more lists. Uh, So, Bartorovic has him classified as a wing-slash-guard of that position type. There have been only six freshmen to have been drafted in the first round with a three-point percentage under 30%. Uh, Romeo Langford, Anthony Edwards, Isaac Okoro, Archie Goodwin, Troy Brown, and Keon Johnson. Not a bad list, Um, but Castle would have the lowest three-point frequency by far, among them. Um, I think the closest one was Archie Goodwin at like 3.6 uh three point attempts per 100 possessions. And I think um Castle is currently at 3.5, so not great. Um the others all had much higher, um, almost double in some cases. Uh but you know, the one of the other reasons I'm willing to give Castle a little more time is that he's doing more stuff. Um, other than scoring so it's not like he's just out there contributing nothing he's doing a bunch of little things uh that role players are asked to and have to do and that's really encouraging from a top recruit at a big time program with national championship aspirations and expectations so uh and castle currently has a box plus minus of five really strong especially for a freshman uh 10.8 offensive rebounding rate a 23.5 assist rate a three uh 3.0 3.0 block rate and a 3.1 steal rate. His defense has been so much better than I ever expected it would be. Um, as a freshman, he's doing the little things, his passing has been impressive, he's crashing the boards, he's contributing to winning. The thing is just he's not scoring. And if you're gonna be a top five pick, you have to show some competency in scoring. And he's currently in the first percentile. On jumpers, uh 51st percentile at the rim, which is encouraging. Would like that to be a little higher given his size, but he's not super explosive, so not totally shocking. Uh 14th percentile spotting up, 87th percentile in transition. But um the only play types that he qualifies for based on volume, uh with synergy, is spotting up and transition. He hasn't done much else, he hasn't had the opportunity to, and he hasn't sought those opportunities out. So I would l- Coming into the year, I was really excited to see what the Klingon Castle uh, pick and roll would look like with Caravan, Newton, uh, Cam Spencer spacing the floor. Um, And we just haven't we haven't seen that at all. Um, It would be nice even with Klingon out to see a little more of that going forward. But he just he needs to start showing a little more um, alpha. And God, that sounded so lame. Oh, I hated myself the second I said it. But he needs to kind of start forcing things a little more. I'm not totally convinced that he will uh, because he's pretty low on the totem pole of usage and opportunity there. Maybe with clinging out that starts to change. Um, All right. So two guys who are kind of blending the idea of production and potential um, Reed Shepard and Jacoby Walter. So just run through a whole bunch of numbers with Reed Shepard here. They are lunacy. Um, Also, if you missed it, go check out Corey and Albert's uh, breakdown of Reed Shepard and Rob Rob Dillingham uh, from Thursday. Awesome podcast. Make sure to go check it out. But uh, Reed currently has an effective field goal rate of 74.4, defensive rebounding rate of 17.7, assist rate of 24.6, a 3.6 block rate, a 5.7 steal rate, a 59.5% from two, uh, 57.8% from three. Uh, he ranks in the 98th percentile overall in points per possession, 100th percentile spotting up 100th percentile on pick and roll 79th percentile in transition 99th on jumper on all jumpers, 99th shooting off the catch and 93rd shooting off the dribble and the 78th at the rim. Those are absurd. They're going to come down. They have to. And if they don't, then that'd be fun. Uh, if they don't, we're talking about a top three pick here. Um, but it is incredible the way that he is performing right now, and it feels real. Um, I, I know the, um, I, I know the numbers are going to come down, but I'm not worried about it when he hits that inevitable cold stretch because the process of what he does is so consistent and it is so reliable um, that he's able to do it game over game, possession by possession and there's no issue. There's nothing looks forced. Nothing is like, Oh my God, he's just on a hot streak right now. It'll come back to earth. It's replicable stuff that he does night in and night out. And there aren't many players, especially freshmen who do stuff like he is doing. So yeah, you can kind of gripe about the size. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the most explosive guy, but he's really strong. He's got a really good first step and he reads the game incredibly well. So his feet, his processing, his brain, all of it just screams top 10 guy at this point. And when you have that production to match, it's absurd. I didn't bother running any queries for him because he's the only one that pops up in any of them. Um, The numbers are just too outlandish right now to really legitimately compare against anyone else. It will be fascinating to see what they look like come February, come March. Um, But It's absurd. And when I talk about the processing stuff, uh, you know, let's look at some of his, um, defense here. So just weak side, this is absurd ground coverage. Um, so Aaron, let me just restart that. So Reed's going to follow his man to the opposite corner here from the left corner to the right corner. And, um, North Carolina is going to run this high pick and roll with Armando Baycott, or it's more of a Spain action, excuse me, uh, with Armando Baycott Baycott rolling to the rim. And there's confusion here among the Kentucky defenders, except for Shepard, who's reading it and tagging down onto the opposite block, uh, tagging Baycott while Shepard's man lifts out to the opposite wing. From here, the second that RJ Davis pivots back, Shepard is already breaking on this pass. He knows it's coming because uh, Cadeau is the only open person on the court and Davis has picked up his dribble, so he is bolting to cover there. Incredible ground coverage, really quick recognition, and he gets a dunk in transition. Just really high-level defensive awareness and processing speed that we really, really rarely see. From freshman and just really accurate hands and timing on that as well. Um, let's go to another off ball steal here. So Shepard is kind of down playing as the low man here, and Penn runs this little empty corner DHO. Shepard again times his rotation to perfection. Quick hands pokes the ball loose as the big man goes up for it. Ball scrambles, Shepard again. Sneaks his way in there, pokes it loose yet again, and Kentucky's again running in transition. What I love here in transition, he doesn't force it. He's never rushed. He picks up his dribble. They have a four-on-two opportunity, so instead of just barreling to the rim and hoping for the best, he takes the space that the defense gives him, pauses, and lets things settle and lets the opportunity present itself. One defender steps to him. Two Kentucky players are guarded by one in the lane here. And DJ Wagner floats back out to the opposite corner. Shepard reads it, kicks it to him. Wide open corner three in transition. Again, just great processing um, all around. Uh, Here, just quick hands yet again on ball. Just thank you. Let me take that. Elliot Cadeau is a really good ball handler, really good point guard down the road. And Shepard makes him look like a Juco walk-on. Incredibly quick hands, takes it way too easily. And as he kind of approaches this three-point line in transition, Cadeau sagged way off of him. No one else has really entered the scene yet. So he has space. He's a lethal shooter. Shepard just rises up, steps into a wide open three, just easy points. Um, and then last one here, just a little bit of his zombie ball creation. Simple. It's really just simple, fundamental stuff. I know I sound like a broken record here, but this isn't a an shocking and one mixtape type creation that we fall in love with. It's just a little shot fake, gets the defender up out of his stance, jab step, rip through drive, gets him on his hip, lowers the shoulder, shrugs him off, finishes through the contact. Awesome awesome stuff uh the last guy who's kind of blending this production with potential uh jacoby walter he's cooled off a little bit uh from his scorching start to the season but really he's still performing at an incredibly high level uh before i get into the numbers i will say Biggest red flag with him is his on-ball defense. It has been atrocious recently. I hate it. It's so bad. Uh, his foot speed, his reactions, his anticipation, um, especially in the pick and roll, it's been really, really bad and something that really has to be accounted for and improved on going forward. Um, but the team defense has been excellent. The His ability to kind of tag and recover and kind of do similar stuff to jumping passing lanes like we saw um, with shepherd it's it's not quite at that level obviously but it's there, there are signs of it and the the fact that he's uh you know someone in our discord uh our no ceilings plus discord uh chat described it as a uh, good brain bad feet and it's kind of hard to agree with or to disagree with that uh because that's kind of what his defense has been to this point but with walter the big big selling point with him is the shooting right now. Uh, Currently 55.9 effective field goal rate. Uh, The assist rate at the start of the year was awful. That's built up to 9.4, not a shocking playmaker or anything like that, but being a lot better at making simple reads and making the extra pass and finding the open guy. And with a guy like Walter, who's more of just a pure shooting guard, that's enough so the fact that he's up at more in like the average kind of uh territory with his assist rate really encouraging would like to see that get over 10 um come end of year but strides are definitely going in the right direction and to kind of further complement his passing accuracy and decision making is that his turnover rate is only 9.8 so again would like to see the assist rate get higher than that uh see that balance out a little more but he's taking really good care of the ball and he has a steal rate of 2.8, uh, getting to the line or excuse me. Uh, he has a 43.2 free throw rate. So, and, um, is attempting 11 three point attempts per 100 possessions while shooting 43.3 percent from three. So the scoring versatility is there. The scoring efficiency is there high volume from three. He's attacking the rim and getting to the line and getting rewarded for that aggressive, uh, scoring mentality exactly what you want to see from a freshman shooting guard uh efficiency volume versatility tough to argue with that uh currently um uh walter is one of three freshmen from a true high major conference with a steal rate of two uh shooting 10 three-point attempts per 100 possessions uh a free throw rate of at least 40 and a box plus minus of at least six uh the other names on there are trey young and eric gordon i think jacoby uh correlates uh, a bit more strongly to one of those players than the other and i'm assuming that you can kind of connect the dots on who that is um and i think eric gordon is kind of a actually a really interesting comp for jacobi going forward um and if you can kind of get that type of player in this draft around the five-ish pick range tough to ask for much more um but going back to that, that that kind of query with Trey Young and Eric Gordon, uh, Jacoby has a lower usage and assist rate than both of them, but his effective field goal rate and rebounding rates are both much higher than those two, um, at least at this point. So a lot of basketball left to be played, but it's really exciting stuff. It's really fun seeing so, some of these guys like Jacoby Walter and Reed Shepard, who some didn't necessarily expect much from coming into this year to perform at the levels they are. So... That's all I got on the production versus potential. Going to get into the rookie roulette stuff here um, with Asar Thompson and James Edwards here in a minute. Um, Starting with Asar Thompson, so 6'6", 205-pound wing, um, came out of overtime elite with his twin brother, Amen Thompson, who obviously went to the Houston Rockets with the fourth pick. Asar Thompson was the fifth overall pick by the Pistons. Um, He ended up at number seven on our final no ceilings big board. Asar is currently averaging 9.3 points uh, per game, which ranks eighth among rookies, 7.4 rebounds, which ranks fourth, 2.3 assists, which ranks 10th, 0.9 steals, uh, which ranks seventh, 1.1 blocks, which ranks fifth, uh, shooting splits of 46.1, 15.8, yikes, uh, and 69.5, all while, you know, playing 25.7 minutes per game, which ranks seventh among rookies. Basar ranks in the 15th percentile in points per shot attempt, uh, 7th percentile in turnover rate at 15.3, 78th percentile in assist rate at 12.9, 14th percentile in effective field goal rate at 48%, 36th percentile uh, shooting at the rim at unfortunately just 60%, but the defensive stuff and rebounding has been Incredibly impressive. Uh 93rd percentile in block rate with a 2.0 mark, uh steal rate of 1.4, which ranks in the 62nd percentile, 99th percentile in offensive rebounding, 94th percentile uh in defensive rebounding. His ability to kind of use that off ball movement and effectiveness uh to find those open gaps and use that athleticism and his quick hands uh to be a disruptor has been so impressive. Um, and it's really translated immediately. Unfortunately fouling a lot, uh, 5.1, uh, foul rate, not ideal, uh, kind of getting into some of the more, a little more advanced stat stuff and the on off discrepancies, um, the Pistons rating or net rating is 5.7 lower with him on the court rather than off. Um, and the big difference is that is the offensive struggles. And he's not the sole cause for that because that team is just bereft of shooting across the board as we've seen during this losing streak, but you know, he's not helping that by any means. And that kind of inability to eat up the space that they give him uh, to find those counters to just jacking up bad shots. He hasn't quite figured that out yet. So when he's on the court, the Pistons offensive rating is 8.1 lower than when he's off. Not great. Uh, But conversely, their defensive rating is 2.5 lower uh, with him on than off. So that's really where the impact is coming from. And that's Really impressive and really, really rare for a rookie to make that kind of defensive impact from the, from the jump. So those are just kind of the big picture numbers with him that I wanted to run through. And, um, you know, now let's dive into my interview with, uh, James Edwards, the third from the athletic, he had some awesome stuff, uh, to say, so make sure to ha- hang out and, uh, and, and really kind of consume what he, what all, all of the good info that James had for us. Very excited to bring on this week's guest to help me break down Asar Thompson's rookie season thus far. Uh, he is a senior writer for The Athletic covering the Pistons, and you can find him on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it uh, at JL Edwards III. He is James Edwards Third. James, thank you so much for taking the time. How's it going?
1: Hey, no problem at all. Thank you for having me, and, and all is well, man. Can't complain. Um it hasn't snowed yet in Michigan. It's just been raining a lot. So,
0: yeah, same, uh, we, same here. We've in avoided
1: freezing cold weather. Yeah, was, yeah, similar climate's been a little weird, but um, yeah, I don't know. I wish the sun was out a little bit more. It's been a while.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that, that'd certainly help. Uh, I'm sure with the, the state of basketball going on over in Detroit right now too, but we're not here to talk about the losing streak <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff. You can find James James's incredible coverage um, over at The Athletic, uh, multiple podcasts. He's doing an awesome job covering uh, that team that honestly doesn't deserve it. So, but we are here to focus instead on what should be a bright spot for the Pistons this year. Um, Asar Thompson, the number five overall pick, uh, coming out of OTE, uh, his brother, twin brother, Amen Thompson went fourth overall, but before we kind of dive into the nitty gritty of his game and what, you know, he's kind of shown so far this year, uh, and hopefully going forward, um, what has kind of been just your big picture impression of Asar and what he's meant to this Pistons team so far?
1: My big picture impression is like if, if the kid can learn how to shoot, like I I see all NBA potential. I just I see a guy who can defend one through four. Um, I see a guy who is super active. I see a guy who's just kind of. Th- is a step ahead defensively uh, which is which is somewhat rare for a young player like I think if the shot comes like this is he's going to be a very 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 good player for a long time um, and in terms of the losing streak I mean he's had a tough go like everybody else he started off the season really really well um, as the season went on he struggled with fouls team started to, the book was kind of out on him they were letting him shoot he didn't really eat up the space that they were giving him, like he did those first couple games where teams were sagging off him, he would attack. Uh, It feels like he's gotten away from that a little bit more. But, again, a lot of guys are uh, out of sorts right now as the team loses so many games. But, yeah, I I think he's going to be good. Just aside from, like, his physical and um, the the high IQ he plays with, uh, the kid works. Like he's always like he's watching the game by the time we get in the locker room, home and road. Like he's on his phone rewatching like the game already. Um, He's a different type of kid. And I, I, you, you like to hit your wagon to, to horses like that.
0: Going into draft night. um, Is it kind of your understanding or assumption that assuming the top four picks went the way they did that, that fifth pick was always going to be a SAR or was there some, um, kind of backing to some of the speculation that guys like Jarvis Walker or Taylor Hendricks or Cam Whitmore were considered at that spot as well.
1: I mean, to my knowledge, if the Pistons picked fourth, the pick still would have been a SAR. So, okay. um, I, I'm fairly, yeah, I believe he was n- no doubt the pick at five, uh, and w- would have been the pick of Pistons in, in, uh, the Rockets flip spots too.
0: Okay. Awesome. Um, So just with with their lineups and, you know, you you mentioned the lack of shooting or the shooting struggles, um, which was kind of one of the red flags coming in. How has he kind of fit in overall to this roster and what the coaching staff is um, asking him to do, what the player, you know, what the rest of the roster is expecting from him. And he's part of their four most used lineups. So there's clearly a sense of trust, even though some of his minutes recently are trending downwards, but I think that's more so Hopefully, illness related um, and not necessarily performance, but just how does he kind of fit into this roster and this culture that they're trying to build?
1: I think culture wise, he fits in perfectly. Um, A defensive minded wing uh, who who likes to get out and play with pace, uh, who has secondary, tertiary ball handling, upside, um, has high IQ just needs to a little bit more seasoning and like i said i think he's one thing he's really struggled with this year as it's played out he early on and this has been an issue for most of the pistons they started the year really well like teams felt them they were physical mm-hmm. um the way they played defense was like in your face they were moving like active hands it was it was really it was really pretty defense like pretty good damn good defense for any team um that first 3 4 games or whatever. But now I see like Asar has struggled with once he started to struggle with foul trouble, he's lost a little bit of that aggressiveness. He's he's trying to find the balance between not fouling but still being who he who he is and who the team needs to be on that end of the floor. Um I think he's 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 struggled a bit trying to find that, but I think he'll get there obviously. Just it just takes time and experience, but culture-wise I think he fits in well. Now with this current roster it's a little bit tough for him because they kind of they transitioned away from emphasizing defense to emphasizing spacing um obviously that is not a strong suit in terms of shooting the floor but he has the ability to cut when guys play off of him um he he there's been very minute instances of him being used as a short roller i'd like to see them use that more uh i think they they really use that get him out on the floor but yeah i don't the, this roster needs a few for him to like be able to be part of the make sense when he's next to Cade and Ivy and Bogey like that needs to. There's a, f- a few more tweaks that need to happen there. I think they need Ivy to be a more consistent three point shooter uh, to, for that to really work. But it's it's certainly like I don't think it's that far off from finding a way. I think in terms of like like I said, secondary and tertiary ball handling or decision making or playmaking, he's, he's got real chops there. He just needs to clean up his handle a bit. Um, I think that's one thing I've noticed, too, is when he gets down low and he's trying to dribble into a crowd or dribble his way out of a crowd, his handle's not as tight as it needs to be right now. But uh, you obviously can see the skill is there. It's just a matter of learning what, what type of guys you can challenge and and, and when not to challenge a crowd.
0: Yeah. And you, you talk to, you know, the ball skills and the passing ability and he's in the 78th percentile and assist rate at 12.9%, which is really impressive, especially for a rookie. Um, and especially for a rookie who's not shooting the way he is. And, you know, one of the comps that we used a lot going into the draft was Andre Iguodala, And obviously that's lofty praise and um, put some high expectations on it, but you kind of mentioned using him as a, a roller and kind of be, You know, try and put him in position, getting downhill, and maybe create out of that short role. We saw the Warriors kind of do a lot of that similar stuff with Iguodala and Draymond, and you know, obviously those are two of the smartest players to ever play the game. So, not necessarily saying you know they'll get to that level, but is that kind of the role that you would that that you're hoping we kind of see a little more of more from him going forward?
1: Yeah, I think like the. I agree that like the best-case scenario is like Andre Iguodala, right? I don't know if that's the best-case scenario. That's a damn good
0: yeah. scenario. But,
1: okay. Obviously, yeah, Iguodala would be a great outcome. But one guy that I think is style, not necessarily the same archetype of player, but not far off in, in style of play and in kind of balancing the strengths and weaknesses is Bruce Brown in Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, the way they used him as a small ball five, using him as a roller, Getting him down the middle of the floor, allowing him to kick out the corners. Like I want to see that with the sar utilized more until the shot comes around. And now Bruce has turned into a pretty solid standstill shooter, um, but he was able to be effective by doing that until that by by, you, by being utilized as a as a roller and and utilizing his passing skills.
0: Yeah, no that that makes a lot of sense, and we've seen how effective he's been uh, from his time in Brooklyn to Denver and now obviously Indiana. Um, mm-hmm. Just coming into the season. What were what has kind of surprised you about Asar? And then what has on the flip side of that, what have been some of the kind of major frustrations or disappointments, let's say, aside from the shooting?
1: Uh, the thing that's kind of I wouldn't say it surprised me, but seeing it every single day in person, just his ability to be like a step ahead of the offensive player more often than not when he's guarding on ball, just watching him how he moves his feet how he uses how he moves his hips the the activity with the hands like he he's gonna be a tremendous under um like if he's i think like you could make the case i mean it's kind of fallen off now just because of the fouling and the lack of playing time but like i have no worry that like we're gonna consider him a, a top on ball defender like as soon as next year in the nba um I think what has been a bit disappointing on that end of the floor is his off-ball defense. Um, I think he's been in a situation a basketball career where if he sags off his man a little bit, he can always kind of recover. Um, and he's learned that at this level, even sagging off a little bit is, is going to be detrimental. And he just gets caught with his hand in the cookie jar while he's playing help defense or, or his eyes attached to uh, the ball handler or, or even helping... uh, digging down to help out a little a step or two too far because he thinks he can recover and it ends up costing him um he's just got to he's got to definitely clean that up and then the handle uh like i I think he's going to be a fine ball handler with time but it it needs to be a little bit tighter and um, i think he needs to do a better job of avoiding crowds
0: and then i guess just to to kind of wrap things up here um what are your kind of expectations for him and how he fits in to this team and the kind of impact uh that he'll have on this team going forward uh not just for this year um i I guess first off for the rest of this year for his rookie season but then kind of going forward into the future as well and potentially being kind of a core building block for this team
1: yeah i think it's important for the rest of this season that they they prioritize like playing him um they've lost 28 games and like you said it's been uh, part of it has been due to an illness right part of it has been due to them needing spacing uh, but they need to prioritize him and try to maximize him as a, like a short roller, like we've talked about. Um, he needs to, I think I'd utilize him more as like a, to take some of the pressure off Kate as a secondary ball handler, let him get some of those reps. Uh, I think you got to think of the big picture with him. And ideally the best version of him is like a secondary or tertiary ball handler who um, can get downhill and, and make those reads. So you want to see you want to see more of those as well. Um, and then in the long term, like I think they they have high hopes. Like I would say, uh, it's hard to say anybody is untouchable on a team that's lost twenty eight games. But I think him, Cade, and and and, and possibly Duran are like guys that are super untouchable. And they, I think they throw Ivy in there too. Uh, I I don't know about untouchable, but, but like I said, if, if you are really, really, really uh, shake them down to to get Cade and Nassar out of that picture, so. Uh, I think they have a, well, I know that they believe so much in him. They know that the, he has a big hurdle with his jump shot, but that's kind of the thing. It's like, he shot well at the end of OTE. Um, I don't think he's a good shooter right now by any stretch. I think part of it could help be the the mechanics of it. his guide hand is like on top of the ball. Um, There's just some tweaks that they need to make, but he's, he showed that he could hit shots at that range. Um, He's just, I think part of it, which is, has a lot to do with where the team is. Like, I think a lot of it's psychological, like some of the misses are wide open and really bad. Um, And I watch him put in work every single day on his shot. Like um, it it has a lot of work, a lot of room to grow. It has a a long journey ahead, but it's not, I think the psychological aspect of missing a couple being left wide open, plus the losing streak has played into the the very bad misses on, on a lot of these wide open attempts
0: for sure uh james this is awesome thank you so much for the time um please no plug away tell people where they can find you how they can support you in all facets i
1: appreciate you having me man Uh big fan of your guys' work over there and uh on twitter at jl edwards iii uh, on the athletic you can go to the pistons tab nba tab you can find me there i have a podcast the detroit players podcast on patreon with vincent goodwill who's uh nba columnist for yahoo sports we do our regular podcast every Monday, and then we drop like a bonus episode every Friday, which is usually like um, post game audio or audio from a one on one that I've had recently or in the past. Just something that I think helps fans get a little pull behind the curtain and and see uh, what, what a life, what day, what a day in the life is like too. So check those out.
0: James is the best. He's doing incredible work. Go support him, uh, James. Thank you again, um, and take care. We'll talk soon.
1: Appreciate it. Happy New Year.
0: You too. All right. Can't thank James Edwards enough. Uh, please go support him and all his endeavors. Incredible work on a really bad team right now. But hopefully Asar Thompson is going to be one of the kind of shining lights and bright spots, uh, slivers of hope for that team going forward. But we kind of heard what Asar's done this year. We ran through the numbers. We know you know we're familiar with the OTE film but what does that mean for this upcoming draft what can we learn from Asar Thompson's rookie season so far um and going forward so I think I, I don't think it's fair necessarily to obviously do a one-for-one comp with Asar uh given the athletic um aptitude and how incredibly hardworking he is how incredibly cerebral he is uh I think his combination of athletic tools with cerebral ones is really, really rare. Um, And I'm not sure, excuse me, I'm not sure that there are necessarily any players in this class that directly reflect that, Um, but there are a couple that might get there. I I think the first one that's really easy to look at is Ryan Dunn. Um, His defense has been otherworldly this year. Uh, We've talked about him a bunch this season, the defensive playmaking, the rebounding, the athleticism, the strength. I think it's the closest thing that kind of mirrors Asar Thompson um from last year into this year's draft. We saw Asar go uh where he did go go fifth um in what was deemed a much stronger draft. So could Ryan Dunn go that high? Could he go higher? Um the defense is maintained and it's been incredible, but the shot and the offense just isn't there. He's been a really good cutter. Uh we've seen some slashing stuff from him, but the shot it's not there. There isn't the volume. There isn't the efficiency. Maybe it takes a turn, but in a draft where there are so many question marks and so many uncertainties, if Asar Thompson can go fifth and that the incredible draft that we had last year, could Ryan Dunn kind of mirror that as well? Um, I think a couple other names to kind of keep an eye on are this one's a little more loosey goosey, but Zachary researche, um, I you know I don't think the defense is quite there. I think it's a, you know a tier below, but I think the shot is four or five tiers above where Sars is. Um, Risa Shea has been incredibly impressive, and I think someone who could really be in the argument for that top overall pick. Um, and then just a little further down the, um, you know then a little further down most people's big boards. Um, I think we have to talk about Otega Owe, where he's been really good in transition, really good slasher, really good at room finisher. And the defense has been really impressive as well. Um, but again, the shots just not there. Uh, the percentages are absurd, but he's taken like nine attempts all year. So those attempts need to quadruple, um, with similar efficiency before I even start entertaining that as a real strength of his, um, because, Kind of like we saw in that clip earlier of Castle where he's just passing up a wide open three. Owe does that a lot, but he's been much more effective getting downhill. Incredible in transition and the defense and the athletic tools and the strength um, is also there. So I I think those are kind of three names with Ryan Dunn being the the kind of clearest um, option of who... We can kind of take some lessons from Asar Thompson and carry that over into this year's draft. Uh, just gonna get to a couple comments here and questions. Um shout out runner dude. Uh think he can defend forwards full time. I'm assuming this is about Asar. I do. I think he's athletic enough. I think he's smart enough. I think his hands are quick enough. Um where he's going to be able to scale up in time especially a couple years from now when he really fills out his frame and has the strength of you know a guy in his mid-20s uh plus that explosiveness plus that experience and how um how much more the game is going to slow down for him i think defending forwards is going to be really really easy for him um i also think he's pretty easily a a, a true six six um I, I i don't think that's really inflated maybe by an inch but I I think 6'6 six, six is pretty fitting. Um then Cosmo. I, I have more confidence in Ron Holland developing an effective jumper than I do uh for either Thompson Twin. I would a hundred percent agree on that. Um I, I think Holland is going to be a much better shooter and is already a much better shooter than either Thompson Twin is. Um, and I I'm assuming that Holland will probably be a common comp for uh or the Thompson twins will uh or could be a common comp for Ron Holland. Um, I don't see that though. I I think Holland's a much better shooter, but I think the defensive consistency and versatility um, and discipline for both the Thompson's is significantly higher. I think their processing speed, their handle, their passing, their playmaking um, and their overall just kind of feel for the game is leagues ahead of where Holland's is right now. Um, So yeah, that that's sorry. Thompson He's been really, really fun. Hopefully that Pistons team uh, can kind of get some shooting to round out their roster a little more effectively. Uh, go support James Edwards the Uh Again, add JL Edwards III. I, I. Does incredible work. Um, but let's f- figure out who we're talking about uh, next week for the Rookie Roulette. Let me just kind of pull up the window here. Um, all right, let's take a spin. There we go. Just electric contact right now and who do we got Ooh, oh almost shut home Grant. all right jordan hawkins next week a uh, bit of a roller coaster for him this year but turns out he's a damn good shooter so jordan hawkins will be next week uh rucker may or may not be back next week as well but once again, I'm Tyler Metcalf. You can follow me on Twitter at Tmetcalf11. You can find all of my written work at uh, No Ceilings NBA across all socials. Uh, thank you for everyone tuning in, uh, watching along live. I hope you all have a fantastic weekend and a very happy new year. Until um, next time. See ya.